Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, Nick Polak. Not here tonight, so we went out and got Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Oh, not much, Bill. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, right back at you. And tonight, we are doing our annual uh, preview podcast with our friend Matt Brown from Sports on Earth. Uh, when Matt comes around, that means we're going to be going through each Big Ten team, asking one big question about them and trying to answer it. Sometimes the big questions are serious. Sometimes they're silly. Uh, and, of course, we're going to make a lot of jokes about Michigan. So, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Brown. Matt, what's going on? Not too much. Thank you for having me, Bill. I appreciate it. No, not a problem. Always, uh, It's always fun to get you on, and it's always fun to uh, do this edition of the podcast because it means college football is right around the corner. We're doing this on Thursday night. Uh, there are games uh, on Friday, correct? And I know there's a game on Saturday. 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 Five five games Saturday, despite all of the weird confusion over when college football actually starts. Yes. There are five games Saturday. Yeah, and then we they might just, not matter, but they they exist. And uh, they're, they're on. Listen, sir. When I asked if you wanted to watch the McGregor uh, Mayweather <laughs> exhibition, you said Stanford Rice is on. So I don't want to hear that out of you. Uh, I mean, I would rather watch a Division three game than Mayweather and McGregor. So I mean, I'd rather probably drop a brick on my foot, but I'll probably still end up watching it because I just go along with that stuff. Neither here nor That's there. Uh, so what we're gonna do? We're going off of last year's standings, worst team to best team, Big Ten West, then Big Ten East. Uh, Big Ten West will probably go through a little bit faster because who cares? Uh, Big Ten West uh, East will motor through until we get to the top three or four teams. First things first, we're talking about the Purdue Boilermakers, a team that uh, Matt and I, we have discussed a tiny bit, uh, usually discussing you know Danny Hope and how much fun Danny Hope was and Joe Taylor and how much fun he was. The question, Jeff Brom is fun. He was a legitimately really good hire for them. The question is, can he win games at Purdue? I think he can, but within like three years maybe, because it is like hard to overstate how bad Purdue was the past few years. Like I heard in my Big Ten preview, I'm like, oh, they, they basically played like a Mac team. And then I realized they were one in three against the Mac in the last four years. So they've been like a bad Mac team for the past four years. So there's just so there's just such a long way to go. And you know, David Blau, their quarterback, threw 21 interceptions last year. I think he's going to put up numbers because he has experience and he can throw. And Jeff Brom is a brilliant offensive mind. Western Kentucky was as fun as any team in the country. It's just they haven't recruited well. They haven't beaten much of anybody outside of Illinois, I think, a couple times. And it's just such a rebuilding front. The good news is they're in the Big Ten West. They play Rutgers. They play Indiana. They play Illinois. Like, there's wins on the table. but And they're going to be more competitive. It's just, will they be, like, bowl team competitive? No, probably not for a couple of years. Uh, Matt, I, I'm actually very glad you mentioned the Rutgers game because there is significance to that. And I need you uh, to say it for everyone, just in case they're not aware of it. College football started in 1869. We were almost to the 150th anniversary of college football. This is the first time that Rutgers and Purdue will meet on a football field. (laughs) The most momentous occasion in the history of college football, and I hope college game day goes. Uh, That would be great. Like if If college game day just started doing ironic locations, I would love that so much. But... Matt, other Matt, uh, let's look at just the last couple of years of Purdue. 1-11, and 
oh and eight in the Big Ten, three and nine, one and seven in the Big Ten, two and ten, one and seven in the Big Ten, three and ten, one and eight in the Big Ten. They have finished sixth, seventh, seventh, and seventh each of the last four years. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Jeff Brom, though, I think you would agree is the man for the job, right? Yeah, and, and it's funny. I think if we, I can't remember the order of the of the horrible finishes you just rattled off, but I'm pretty sure that that year they finished sixth. If my memory's right, there were only six teams in the division that was pre Maryland Rutgers in, in the good old days, as it were. Um, so they they have not finished out of the cellar in that division, West leaders, legends, what whatever it is, um, in a long time. Um, but yeah, I, I love the Jeff Brom hire. Um, I say that with the, with the uh, caveat that when they hired Daryl Hazel, I thought that was a really good hire too, and look how that turned out. So I'm not sure my endorsement here is is exactly what Purdue's looking for. But he's he's the kind of it's the kind of decision that they needed to make to become relevant again. Um, with Hazel, they were just trying to trestle ball everyone, and they're just they're not going to have enough good athletes to do that. They need to do something, you know, going back to you know, their glory days of recent memory with, um, with Drew Brees and, and Curtis Painter and that group, um, you know, that long ago, where they were throwing the ball around, they were spreading the field, they were doing stuff different than what probably 90% of the teams in their schedule saw. And Jeff Brown is bringing that kind of mindset back where they're going to throw the ball over the place, they're going to do things on offense that, um, quite frankly, the, you know, the rest of the Big Ten really isn't going to be expecting. And I'm not saying they're going to win, you know, when, like Matt was saying, in three or four years, not going to be a 10 win team by any means, but they're going to be seven and five, eight and four, maybe sneak up and, you know, get nine wins one year. Um, they're going to compete with that non Wisconsin tier in the West. And then um, Jeff Brum will leave and, and they'll be back to yep, being Purdue. Yep. Exactly. And that's, that's the, the, the huge question, I guess, is, is can they sustain whatever success we, I think we all think Jeff Brum's going to have? Um, I mean, well, well, time will only tell with that, but at least as far as investing in a big name, um, investing in, I think the right big name, um, they're doing a ton of stuff off the field too, improving facilities and things like that with all this big 10 money that's coming in. Um, they're, they seem to be pointed in the right direction. I guess the question is just how patient are they willing to be, um, with the amount of money they're throwing at Jeff Brown, I think probably pretty patient for at least three or four years here. Yeah, I mean, I am of the belief that when you're one of the bad teams in a conference, you might as well try and do something different. And I think Brom was that kind of hire. He's the guy who's going to come in. He's going to have them chuck the ball over the place. He's going to have them do a ton of funky stuff on offense. Is it going to lead to them being good? I have no idea. I, I mean, I like David Blau. I think he's a very dumb and fun college quarterback, but I don't know if they're going to, be, like we said, if they're going to be a kind of team who you know, six or seven wins is enough for Blau to get a bigger opportunity. Uh, and speaking of guys looking for a bigger opportunity, we're moving on to the Illinois Fighting Illini, uh, who is coached by, who are still coached by Lovey Smith. He has made it past one year without wanting to leave. Uh, so Matt, uh, we're going to back to you, uh, Matt DeBear. Again, this is a really bad decision on my part by having two Matts on here. What NFL job does Lovey Smith want and how upset will he be when he doesn't get it? I'm going to say any job that isn't the Cleveland Browns job, because that is unequivocally the worst professional sports coaching job, regardless of, of league and sport. Um, so that what's what 31 other teams that are, that are a possibility for him. Um, when you, when you and I were talking and you sent me, sent me the agenda earlier today, um, 
we were we threw around um, other ideas for for what our big question for Illinois could be. And my suggestion was, what could Lovey do to look less interested in being the head coach of Illinois than he already does? It's just, I applaud Illinois for going out and, again, investing in the program at a level they really hadn't for, for quite a while. But Lovey Smith just looks so disinterested in that job that I can't imagine him making it into the 2018 season. I think he probably finishes this year. Um, I don't think Illinois is going to be very good, but I think he, he grinds it out and, and gets you know through the end of the 2017 season and then jumps at the first non-Cleveland Browns head coaching job that he can find. Uh, I don't know. Part of me wonders, would he consider a coordinator job at the right with the right NFL team? It's just that the, the, Idea was great. The execution of, of Lovey Smith in Illinois just has not, not been been what I think they were hoping for. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mikey is Mikey Dudek back? He, he, he's he is. back, correct? Yes. Yeah. He's 27 years old, but he's back. Uh, he's a redshirt sophomore at this point, correct? Yeah, he, he and um, uh, Jared Aberderis were, uh, were high school classmates, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, well, other Matt for the purposes of this question or the other, Matt. Like, I, I just can't see... It would take some serious patience by Lovey Smith to be in it for the long haul here. It's hard to imagine a guy who, you know, he coached in the NFL in one capacity or another for a decade. I mean, he was a fine coach. I mean, got them to a Super Bowl, got them to the playoffs a couple of times, got the Chicago Bears, of course. It, it's just hard to see him... You know, if Illinois throws out another three and nine or two and ten or even a four and eight, it, like I just can't see him sticking around for too terribly long. I I don't think he's any hurry to get out now. I mean, they're going to be bad this year. I don't think anybody thinks otherwise. I mean, they don't have a quarterback. Uh, they lose a lot of their defense. Um, you know, they got to play Ohio State. They got to play USF. They're going to they're going to give about fifty to USF. So. I, but I don't. I, you know, I have him three and nine. I, I but I don't. I think sometimes it's overstated, just like how well he he's already regrets the job. But will it work for ten years? No, I don't think that either. So I don't think he's like in a hurry to leave. But if it does go bad for a couple more years, really bad, then my answer to your question is the London Jaguars, so we can get as far away from college football as possible <laughs> when the Jaguars move to London. Oh no! Why? Why no? The fine people of Jacksonville deserve professional sports. I don't actually know a thing about Jacksonville other than the tax label took place there. So. Whatever. And like half of their roster is former Penn State linebackers. Right, right, right. Including Allen Robinson, a famous Penn State linebacker. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Next up, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to say Matt and whoever answered the last question second is the one I'm referring to. You can just say Matt Brown like a lot of people say. Yeah. All right. Matt Brown. Uh, Northwestern. This is actually the first like interesting team we're talking about. Last, you know, they're Northwestern football. They will always be Northwestern football. They have... Probably more than most teams in the Big Ten, they have an identity. They know what they want to do. Can they win the Big Ten West? Yes. Uh, I think, you know, I'm very, 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 very skeptical of the NFL types who are like on the Clayton Thorson bandwagon. Uh, yes, he's big and was a big recruit, but and he got better last year. But let's see how he does without Austin Carr. And he still averaged under seven yards per attempt last year. But... 
they have a pretty good defense. They're they're really good in the secondary. Uh, you know, they lost Anthony Walker, a linebacker, but otherwise they got most most of that defense back. Justin Jackson's a terrific running back who's rushed for a thousand yards every year. Seems like he gets you know five hundred carries every year, and he's one hundred ninety three pounds. But he'll have his best offensive line since he's been there. So this is you know it's an experienced team where Thorson's you know I don't think he's going to be great, but he's better than he was. Really good running back and. It's the Big Ten West. Um, you know, they don't play Ohio State. They don't play Michigan. They get Penn State at home. It's There's a lot of winnable games on their schedule. And if Wisconsin falters, Northwestern is the team that I would have as the most likely to stumble into the Big Ten West. I don't think they're going to be great, but I think they can win the Big Ten West title just because it's there for the taking. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all completely fair. I mean, Matt, you were on... Uh, when we had Ben Gorin on, um, a fellow Medill alumnus of mine, and he basically said the same thing. Like, he sees a scenario where, you know, Wisconsin, they, again, they falter or just something weird happens with them. And Northwestern is the team that's kind of there. Maybe they go 9-3. and three, Maybe they go, you know, maybe they go 10-2 and two and they get lucky in a win or two. But they seem like the team that is in the best position if something is to happen to Wisconsin or if they can go into Camp Randall and win that game on September 30th, they seem like the team that could be right there and be the team that ends up what representing the Big Ten West in Indianapolis. I, I agree. Um, and we'll get to Wisconsin here in a little bit, um, you know, a few more minutes. But I'm not as sold on them as everyone else seems to be. I don't know why. It's not really something that's based in a 100% sound logic, to be totally honest. But Northwestern, and part of this is the fact that Penn State goes there and plays at like 3 in the morning, I think, is the kickoff time for that game, that I probably am overestimating Northwestern because of that very direct Penn State relationship there with with the, um, the challenging road game for the Nittany Lions. But for all the reasons Matt said, they've got you know, the best running back in the Big Ten other than Saquon Barkley. They've got a serviceable quarterback behind a solid offensive line. They have, I think, a solid group of receivers, relatively unknown, um, with Carr gone to the NFL now. But they've got a, a solid group there. Um, I think what's really understated is how good their defense is. Um, and I love their secondary um, I can't pronounce his name, but their safety, Godwin Igugubuki, whatever it is, um, is, for my money, the best safety in the Big Ten with um, nothing taking away from Marcus Allen there. Um, I think they're, they're very underrated on that side of the ball. Um, and for all the faults that Penn State fans see in him, I think Pat Fitzgerald is a hell of a coach. There's a reason his name comes up um, quite a bit with higher high-profile coach openings um, every, every winter. Um, I'm not going to go out and say they do win the Big Ten West, but they absolutely have the have the the roster to do it and the schedule to do it. Yeah, I like I said, defensively they have an identity. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to play smart. They're going to. They always seem to be really good at taking away the thing that the other team does best and having them have to find some other way to beat them. Offensively, you know, broken record. Clayton Thorson's fine. I mean, I think he, you know, maybe this is the year he takes the leap. I don't know. Justin Jackson is great. They're going to be a good team, uh, you know, 7-6, and 5-4 and four last year. I think they can and probably will improve on both of those. Uh, the fact that, and I didn't realize this, they're two tough games 
uh, are Penn State, well, uh, Wisconsin and Penn State, and those are back-to-back, which makes me a little less worried about uh, the weirdness that is sure to come from a, you know Penn State doing 11, an 11 a.m. local kickoff. But, like, there's th- this is going to be a solid football team. I really think that, and I also think that, uh, hey, maybe this is the year that Brian... Brian Kelly gets fired and Pat Fitzgerald may be interested in the Notre Dame job. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I saved my coaching speculation for Jim Harbaugh. Neither here nor there. Let's move on. Minnesota. Of course, when you're talking about Minnesota, you have to talk about P.J. Fleck. Uh, That's just because Minnesota has been so kind of boring the last few years under, you know, Jerry Kill and Tracy Clays. They've been a solid team, but they're just kind of boring and bland and they didn't help Mitch Leidner uh, achieve his destiny as a first-round overall, first-round quarterback. So, P.J. Fleck gets in there. He's already doing all the p- stuff that makes people either really love or really hate P.J. Fleck. And Matt, the question here, what is his ceiling there? And will he be there long enough to reach it? This is basically a way of saying, is he gone when... Right, how long is he going to be there for, more or less? I assume you're talking to me, but um, yes, I, I, I honestly I have no idea how long to expect him there. I think he stayed at Western um, probably a year longer than a lot of people expected. Um, you know, you took him to the Cotton Bowl and then capitalized on that. But I think a lot of people thought that he was gone after um, the 2015 season. His name surfaced in a lot of places. Um, Minnesota was an interesting place to depart for. I don't think it was. Um, you know, the top program on anyone's list as, you know, the possible PJ Fleck destination. Um, but I think if you take a step back and take the stigma of Minnesota football for the last 10 or 15 years out of the picture, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's, it's a risky hire. Um, I'm kind of sound like a broken record here. I, you know, we talked about it with Purdue and Jeff Brown. I mentioned it with Lovey Smith in Illinois. I love the fact that Minnesota went out there and, you know, didn't go with the the safe choice. They went and went with the big name that might not be the, the obvious fit. Um, but they made Minnesota interesting, um, which is always good because so much of the Big Ten West is not. Um, they remind me a lot of, um, you know, that second tier behind Wisconsin, you know, the Iowa's, Nebraska's, and Northwestern's of the Big Ten West that, in any given year, if they have the right mix of, of experience um, and schedule, that they have that shot. I'm not sure that it's not going to happen this year. I don't think they have the quarterback play by any means to do that. But you saw what he did at Western and um, you know, just totally made that you know, a cool program, had kids that 100% bought in. Um, there's no reason to think that he can't do that in Minnesota. And because he's in the Western side of the big 10, um, there's no reason to think in, that in two or three years, he can't have this team potentially competing for you know, a trip to Indianapolis for the championship game. Um, like I said, if they have that right mix of experience and, you know, they get Wisconsin, you know, in their place, they avoid the dangerous crossovers of, you know, an Ohio state or a Penn state or a Michigan from the other side of the league. Um, I, I guess to answer the second part of that question is how is, will he be able to reach it? I think he is. I don't think they'll have enough success without reaching that ceiling of, of competing for that, that division championship. 
where he would attract interest from the, a program that would pay him enough to leave and would be worth leaving. Um, but I think as soon as he reaches that ceiling, he's gone. I think you saw, um, you know, he took Western as far as they were going to go and left for a program that was not one of those A-list types of places that everyone seemed to think he would be looking for. Yeah, I, I almost think we underrate the fact, you know, for how good he was and, you know, outside of uh, Tom Herman going to Tech, Tom Herman, he was he was probably the biggest head coach to change program. I won't count Ed Orgeron since, you know, he took over midseason, but I, him at te- uh, Tom Herman at Texas, Willie Taggart at Oregon, maybe if you want to stretch it, Matt Rule at Baylor, but this was... He was the biggest name on the market, and Minnesota went out to get him. He made Western Michigan a place where recruits wanted to play football, and he was able to develop the talent that he had there to get them to the Cotton Bowl to send Corey Davis pretty high to the NFL. I mean, Matt, this division is perpetually up for grabs, and I think that by going out and getting Fleck, Minnesota basically said we're kind of tired of being the seven and five, eight and four, nine and three. We always are. We want to take that push. We want to be able to be better than Wisconsin, and we want to start getting to Indianapolis with the hopes of you know winning that game and representing the Big Ten down the road. I think this was an ideal fit for everybody. Actually, I don't. You know, we talk about Fleck as a top candidate, but. Fleck was not going to be a fit at Notre Dame or Texas or something like that. Fleck is a salesman. Oh my god, hold on. High energy. Can you imagine the rich, you know, snobby Notre Dame boosters having to interact with PJ Fleck? No, that's exactly why it would never happen. (laughs) That's the thing. Like, he belongs at a program where his salesmanship will be a a good thing. Like where there's not established traditions necessarily, where there's where he can create his own kind of identity, and I think this, you know, that's what he had at Western Michigan, where he ended up recruiting circles around the rest of the MAC, and developed it into a good program and recruited some talent there. At Minnesota, he can kind of be him. He can be himself, and people aren't going to like look down on him for doing that. You know, people look down on him anyway because there's a lot of snark about his his personality and his his slogans and all that, but. I think he fits somewhere like that rather than one of the top jobs, which doesn't need to hire somebody who is like a walking meme. Like you just, I think it works there. I don't think he's going to be, you know, if he has huge success, he's going to be, somebody is going to hire him somewhere else. But I think he'll just, I think this is a place where he can settle down for at least a little while. Nobody stays at Minnesota for 20 years, but I think it is a good fit for 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 a little while here and he can make minnesota at least an occasional division title contender uh matt correct me if i'm wrong but i mean he basically got in there and he started pulling recruit after recruit after recruit to the not I and mean, he's not getting you know like the top 20 kids the high four-star kids anything like that but he started getting like just really starting to bring talent into the program the talent that he wanted right yeah, I mean he's yeah, he's okay. one of college football's most you know effective salesmen, and yeah. they're going to recruit better. You know, it's Minnesota; they're not going to. Rec- it's very hard to recruit there. Wisconsin succeeds by identifying sleepers that are system fits and developing them. 
Yeah. You know, Minnesota, we don't know what they're how what they're going to look like in terms of system and all that, but we know he's going to be able to out recruit Minnesota's typical ceiling, yes. which is going to up the talent level. And in the Big Ten West, where there's no top fifteen recruiters, you can win games. Yeah, for sure. Uh, mo- moving on to uh, a team that has. It seems like in recent weeks, this is when the hype for them has started, and that's Nebraska. And to me, all the hype has revolved around one person, that's Tanner Lee, their quarterback. Matt, is he the difference between 6-6 six and six in a division title? Uh, I think I, I, I've been fascinated by this hype because if you look Absolutely. at what he did at Tulane, it was like, I mean, his numbers were horrible at Tulane. They, they were, and that's be- he was at Tulane important caveat there because they were three and nine both years and they didn't have any talent around him and he was he had constant injury trouble so it was just a horrible situation but still what he's being talked about is a like a first round nfl pick possibly and it's like okay i i need to see something first i know he's big fits mike riley's offense but it's a it's a strange situation because the other thing about nebraska is who are their star players can the average college football player name one player on Nebraska. Like, no, not they at all. Don't I did. I, I go through every off season and do player rankings at every position, you know, top 25 to top 40 at every position. I had one Nebraska player in make any of those lists. That was Chris Jones, their cornerback who just injured his knee and might be out for the season. So, you know, Nick Gates, their offense tackle is good. DeMornay, Pearsonell, Stanley Morgan are good weapons on offense. They have talent. They have some good players. But I look at this team and I say, what is their strength? Are they in the top three in the Big Ten in any unit? No. So they're a top 35 recruiter that plays like a top 35 recruiter. And, it, you know, I, I, I don't think Tanner Lee is going to put Nebraska where it wants to be. Maybe it can go nine and four again, but we've seen that that isn't enough for Nebraska. So I don't think they're ever going to be satisfied under Mike Riley. I, I just don't think it's... However, even if Tanner Lee is actually a first-round pick, which I'm very, very, very skeptical of that, I still think Nebraska goes 9-4 and because they're just doomed to do that for eternity. Yes. Yeah. I mean, firing Bo Pelini was kind of like it was opening some kind of Pandora's box in which now they're required to go 9-4. and four. I mean, yeah, Matt, I'm looking at them. I mean, they got Bob Diaco? Like, like I don't know. Like, I, I can't find a reason to be excited about Nebraska – and they have their end-of-season stretch. You know, their first uh, five games, save for a trip to Oregon, pretty easy. And then the last one, two, three, four, eight games of the year, Wisconsin, Ohio State, at Penn State, Northwestern. No, yeah, sorry. Uh, Wisconsin, Ohio State, at Purdue, Northwestern, at Minnesota, at Penn State, Iowa. That's a brutal end to this season. Like, Matt says nine and four, but... Unless Tanner Lee is what people think he is, which I am very skeptical of. I say seven and five, actually. I don't oh, think seven he's going five, to be seven and five. Yeah. I mean, I think seven, they could go like nine and four is the ceiling for Nebraska. Yeah. But I like looking on here, five wins is also very possible. Like I, I just can't. And Matt, I'm going to give you this very unenviable task. Make me excited about Nebraska football this year. Um, all right. Thank you very much. <laughs> The, the only thing that you, you were talking about, you know, naming players on Nebraska, and I didn't realize it until I was actually editing the Nebraska preview on the website this morning, 
that uh, Keyshawn Johnson Jr. is not with Nebraska. He uh, had a little legal trouble um, after enrolling early, and uh, Keyshawn Sr. Um, told his son that he uh, needed to take a break from, from football, and uh, he's not going to be with the team this fall. So uh, other than Tanner Lee, and uh, that that's about it as far as, as healthy um, Cornhuskers that I can mention. I go back and forth on what I expect from them this year, to be honest. I could see anywhere from you know six and six to that nine and four, maybe ten wins if things fall right. But that like you said, that end, end of the season schedule is just just brutal. They um, and really the schedule it's uh, all the way through is not not the most um, simple test, simple road to navigate. They go to Oregon in the second week. Um, and they get uh, Northern Illinois Rutgers and um, at Illinois before that, but then they go Wisconsin at home at Ohio State at Purdue, which I believe that was two years ago they lost there. Northwestern at Minnesota at Penn State in Iowa. There's a lot of potential losses um, once you get into that second half of the schedule, and a lot of tough road trips. You know that trip to Penn State. You know one good team that they're going to be playing going up against, and that's a long trip too. That's a two, two and a half hour flight from Lincoln. And who knows by the, by the middle of November, what sort of condition that team's going to be in. Um, like Matt said, it's a top 30 ish recruiting program that is playing to about that level. But because it's the big 10 West again, there's, you know, that caveat that if things break the right way, you know, maybe they can sneak in with, you know, that nine and three regular season where they you know lose to the right teams and beat the right teams on the schedule and, and sneak into the championship game to uh, attempt to do better than their last trip to Indianapolis. Yeah, let's speed through these final two teams uh, because nobody cares. Uh, Iowa, uh, Matt, I'll ask you the question: How good are the twenty starters not named Akram Wadley or Josie Jewell? Um, they make up what is about a six and six team. Yeah. That sounds bad. and it's all. I think they're better than that. I think they're better than that. Why is that? They have a very good offensive line that was a little bit overrated last year. They were given the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line, which I don't know why they were, but they're they're pretty good and they have four starters back, and you know they, they lose one of their two one thousand yard rushers, Lashawn Daniels, but they bring in James Butler from Nevada as a graduate transfer. I keep forgetting about that who uh, rushed for 1,300 yards last year. I think Aker Wadley is one of the most underrated players in the country. He's really, really fun, which you usually don't talk about with Iowa off- offensive players, but he is. And I, I think they're going to be pretty good in the defense front. Now, I don't think Iowa's going to be great. They have a tough schedule. they got to play both Penn State and Ohio State. they got to go to Wisconsin, to Nebraska, to Northwestern. The schedule couldn't set up worse. It's basically the opposite of two years ago. So I, I have them at 8-4, and four, but I think they – and we have no idea if they're going to be able to pass the ball at all. But I think they're solid. I think they're a trademark Iowa football team, which just means they'll probably win yeah. seven or eight games and be competitive and maybe upset somebody. Yeah, and they're going to play a lot of really gross you know, 24-14 games, and God knows who's on what side of that. Uh, the other big team out west, uh, Wisconsin. Like, I don't think we have to talk about them all too much because there's – in my opinion, there's a sense of inevitability that they're just going to win it. They're going to go 10-2. and two. They're going to play gross man ball. Uh, they're going to – oh, wait, no. They might not even go – they might win this entire – they might they have the, the table. Be- 
Yeah, they, they have the best schedule in the conference. Yeah, they get Michigan at home, and other than that, they don't play a single team that is ranked higher than 37th by S&P Plus, and that team is Northwestern. That's also at home. So, yeah, there's a chance to go 12-0. It's going to be uh, – yeah, it's going. Look at that compared to last year's schedule when they played. Like it looked like it was going to be one of the hardest schedules yep. ever. I, oh, it no, didn't I, turn out to be as bad. They played, L- but they played LSU, Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State in the first five games, and Iowa the sixth game, and Nebraska the seventh game. And this year, you know, they played BYU instead of LSU, which is a tough game. BYU is good. Yeah, but you know, they play Michigan at home and don't play Penn State or Ohio State. Theoretically, they'll play one in the Big Ten title game, but. Uh, yeah, it's Wisconsin. They win 10 games like every year. And I think their offensive line will be better. And their defense will still be good. Although I'm very, very fascinated by this because they keep losing defensive coordinators. And now they just hired Jim Leonard, the yeah. legendary Wisconsin safety, who is in his second year of coaching. Yeah, yeah ever. he was there. Not he just at Wisconsin. S- he was second year of coaching coach last ever. year, correct? Safety or secondary or something like that. Yeah, that he he did a good job with them. Coach. Yeah, but... That was his first year of coaching ever, and all of a sudden he's going to be calling the defense. So it's like, it's just, I'm sure he'll be fine, I think, but it's a weird wild card, like, to have somebody that inexperienced as a coach and say, okay, we lost the defensive coordinator two years in a row. Uh, I guess you're up now. <laughs> yeah, like, it's it's Wisconsin. Because he's not going to leave like the other guys because he's like Mr. Wisconsin. Yeah, they, there's, there's such an inevitability about Wisconsin, like, Matt, I, like, I can't I find it really hard to see a scenario barring, you know, a whole bunch of people get hurt and like a win or two gets vacated. Yeah. And, and you're probably right. And, but I, like I said earlier, I just have this like eerie feeling that something is going to go wrong and it's not going to be that, you know, coast to 12 and O kind of season that everyone kind of expects. Um, I will, I, I will almost assuredly be wrong and they will, you know, win the, the division handily. But I just can't put my finger on it, but it feels like this, you know, the last year, like Matt was saying, we thought they were going to go, what, 0-5 or 1-6 or something to start the year with that, that brutal schedule. And they were probably a win against Penn State in the Big Ten Championship game from having a shot at the playoff. And yeah. this year, everyone, you know, they're, they're getting a lot of talk. They're, you know, the, the foregone conclusion, they're going to be in Indianapolis again for like the 19th straight season of, for the Big Ten Championship game. I just, I, for whatever reason, wouldn't be altogether shocked if it's not the, the cakewalk to the division title that everyone thinks. I think they probably still win it, but I'm not sure they're going to be that playoff contender that, that they've been made out to be. And I, like I said, I can't put my finger on it, but that's, that's just my feeling about it. Interesting, interesting. So here's what we're going to do for the Big Ten East. The first team we're going to talk about, we're going to make, each going to make one joke about it and then move on. Then we're going to talk about Michigan State for a second, and then one of you is going to take Maryland, one's going to take Indiana, and then we're going to talk about the teams that are actually not bad. Okay? Okay. First things first, Rutgers. What will be the most entertaining stretch they do during warm-ups this year? The slow jog from the locker room to the inevitable beating against whoever they play. I was going to say that one where they put their leg behind their bodies and lean back to stretch their hamstrings. Oh, poor, poor Chris Ash. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for Chris Ash. He's, what, he's fine, but yeah. Sorry, poor dude. Next up, Michigan State. And Matt, we're going to start with you. This is actually a legitimate question that I, I think needs to be addressed with this team. Should Mark D'Antonio be feeling some amount of heat? I mean, they had a an objectively terrible year last year. 
They end up going 3-9. and nine. They just were not the Michigan State team that we all expect. Then this offseason, it, it seems like if you started a game for them last year, you got kicked off the team for doing something bad. He's a legend. He's, go, he's ma- probably the best coach in program history. He brought them to the playoff. He's brought them to the Rose Bowl. But at what point is... You went 3-9 and nine last year. You've had some health issues. It looks like you might be losing control of this team a little bit. Maybe we start looking towards the future because also he's like 65 or whatever. I think, yeah, I don't. he's not somebody who's going to get fired, but it's one of those situations where it wouldn't be shocking to see him like just you know decide, okay, I, I've had my run. We peaked. I, I did what I want to accomplish and step down at some point. And maybe that will be this year. I it's because it, you know I have them six and six, but that was like my ceiling for the team. You look at the roster. I mean, they lost some of their key players to dismissal in this offseason, including Donnie Corley at receiver. Um, quarterback play is still a question. Their offensive line isn't as good as it was. Their defense has fallen off. The, you know, the secondary used to be the strength, and it's just it's not anymore. And you know, they lost a bunch of close games last year. But this is an inexperienced team. And you look historically, Michigan and Michigan State are never good at the same time, like ever. They cross over like one year, and then the other team's bad. And it sounds simple, but it's been true. It's hard for both to sustain success at the same time. And we had that one good one year where they were both good, and all of a sudden things flipped last year, and it's going to be harder for them to recruit. And it's there's just a lot of hurdles when you add in the off the field stuff. It just feels like things have spiraled out of control a little bit where it's very hard to see them finishing anywhere above fourth in the division, which is a disappointment when you had three straight top six teams and the best era in Spartans history since the 1960s. Yeah. I mean, D'Antonio is 61. I thought he was way older than he was, but Matt, here's my question with them. They start this year Bowling Green, Western Michigan at home. They end this year Maryland at Rutgers. In between that, they go Notre Dame, Iowa, at Michigan, at Minnesota, Indiana, at Northwestern, Penn State, at Ohio State. In every one of those games, the other team, save for Notre Dame and Penn State, which are just going to let the ball fly, they're just going to try and be physical and and really put a hurt in on Michigan State like I do they have a bye their bye is um the third week of the year okay after the western game before Notre Dame okay so it's like last year where they have to do this like insane stretch without a bye and just get beaten up week after week after week like I, I can't I'm looking at this team I see four and eight five and seven at which point yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if they do the, all right, so we're not going to fire you, but we think it might not be a bad idea if you if you consider what your future looks like type of thing. I could see that if it goes really sideways. Um, I could see them going four and eight and being competitive, um, playing hard, not having any off-field um, disaster, quite frankly, that it's been since the end of, of last season, um, just because of that schedule. I think everyone um, in East Lansing and around the program kind of realizes that this this is the year that, that I think they all, everyone saw coming. Last year kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but I think everyone kind of knew that they were 
eventually they were going to have that five and seven ish kind of season. They just didn't expect it to come after a three and nine dumpster fire of a year. Um, I will say this, just you know, living up here in Michigan and reading and hearing the the comments and talking to fans and, and whatnot, there's a sense that they've kind of you know that that whole you know the, the running joke online and on Twitter of the the Michigan State disrespect. They've kind of got that back because no one expects anything from this team this year, um, including a lot of their fans. To be honest with you, um, I'm not saying they're going to go out and win ten games, but I could see them. Um, I've I've talked to you about this, Bill. I, that uh, Penn State trip to East Lansing in, on November fourth scares me. Um, road game after playing in Columbus the week before. After that's the third game in that Michigan Ohio State Michigan State stretch. Um, I could see them rising up and, and getting someone. I don't think they can get Michigan this year in, in Ann Arbor. Uh, I don't think they can get Ohio State in Columbus. But um, they're gonna they're gonna at the very least put a scare into someone that's in that top five to ten national um kind of spot um and i think and like i said unless it goes sideways you know really bad um he gets at least 2018 unless he's just done um but i don't get the impression from the way he's spoken and the way um people are talking about the program that there's really um you know you have to win six or seven games this year i think they could go four and eight and play well um just not admit they don't have the talent because of all the issues they've gone through um, and he gets next year to, to see what they've got. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, Matt Brown, what team went four and eight last year? Um, I forget. Notre Dame. I think, yeah. a lot of, I think a lot of teams went four and eight. Yes. Oregon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so who wants, uh, who wants Maryland? Who wants Indiana? I'll talk about Indiana. All right. So we'll start with Maryland. Uh, Matt, are they the scariest quote unquote bad team in the conference? That's a, I love that description of them. Um, I was just thinking about this when I was reading through the, the, the agenda earlier, and I think that if that Penn State game in College Park was like six weeks earlier instead of the last game of the year, then that would be one where um, I'd have my antenna up as a Penn State fan. I don't think it's that scary at the end of the year because I think they'll be playing out the string at that point. Um, but I think DJ Durkin's a hell of a coach. Um, Absolutely. I think he did a hell of a job recruiting last year. I think he's done a great job this year realizing that they're not going to have that buzz because I think they're going to be a better team than they were a year ago, but they're going to have a worse record just because that schedule is brutal. Um, you know, they got obviously the, the Why East are you scheduling Texas? Why are you doing that, Maryland? <laughs> what, what is the possible gain for them to do that? It's so baffling. Exposure. Yeah, it, it, like, it's it, uh, exposure it, uh, of losing by 28. It, 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 oh, you know, only it, uh, 28? Well, be, well it, it's still Texas and they're still not. They, they still have a little bit of a way to go, but do consider, I mean, it gets for them, it gets them another excuse for when they can't keep talent in the DMV because it's now going to Texas instead of Maryland. I, I think I got my record. They're going to take some, they're going to take some lumps this fall. Um, that's a, that's a team that I think um, could be really good next year and go eight and four just because of who they're going to have to play. Um, but I, that that's a great way to describe them, Bill. The, the best, the the uh the scariest bad team in the conference. Yeah, I mean, Ty Johnson or Lorenzo Harrison are going to be so much fun, and they have like some talent elsewhere. I think this is a team that in like two or three years they might be pretty scary. But yeah, for now I, for now I think they're more of a team that uh let's see that game against Michigan in their play 
in uh, Maryland, that game's going to be like 13 to 9 going into the fourth quarter and just really gross and really ugly before Michigan pulls away. But yeah, Indiana, they've had a weird offseason. They may not be chaos team anymore, but Matt, they may not be as fun as they've been in the past, but will they be better than usual? It's so weird. I mean, they were so bad on defense for so many years. And last year they were 25th, I believe, in yards per play allowed. And obviously Tom Allen did an amazing job with that defense. And he he's elevated the head coach. I have no idea how he's going to handle that. But people are generally optimistic. He obviously did a great job with the defense. Um, it was an unexpected change to have Kevin Wilson fired. But you can't say enough about what Allen did last year. It was one of the best coaching performances in the country. And they have... Almost that whole defense back. T. Grace Scales at linebacker, uh, Rashard Fant at cornerback. They were very good, and most of that defense is back. And you know they're also going to be. They're at least experienced on offense. You know Richard Lego is hit or miss at quarterback, and and um, Simi Cobbs is back. He missed most of last year with an injury at receiver. They got Nick Westbrook. So this should be a decent Indiana team. And I think they could go seven and five, which is very, very, very good for Indiana. Like you can't take bowl bids for granted. They've been to three since 1993. I ended up picking them to go five and seven though, because I, I I picked them to lose that game at Virginia in week two, who I think could be a little bit better than expected. So I, I think it's they're going to be good on defense. They're not going to be as good on offense, and I just think they're going to hover around 500 like they kind of did the last couple years. And I just have them just falling short of that. But you know, I think they're going to, and they they do play Purdue and Illinois, so that does help. Yeah, absolutely. And like I can see them. They're that game against Ohio State. It's going to be hilarious. They're going to be three and one heading into that game against Penn State, which Penn State's going to stop them. The Michigan is going to stomp them. They're going to lose to Wisconsin. But for Florida International, Georgia Southern, Michigan State, Maryland, Illinois, per, Rutgers, Purdue, that's seven wins. That's a solid season. You're losing to the teams that, you know, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, they're the four best teams in the Big Ten. If you lose to them, that's totally fine. So, yeah, go Indiana. As, as always, you have the full endorsement of uh, Roar Lions Radio. Now to move on to the teams that people care about. First things first, uh, Michigan, as much as we dislike discussing them, they're, uh, they're going to be something this year. They're going to be terrifying next year. I have no idea what they're going to be this year. So this is a joke that I, I make about, you know, if they f- come in third again, uh, you know, it, it's curtains for Jim Harbaugh or whatever. I don't actually mean that, but I am interested in, the thought of let's say they come in third again this year. Let's say they lose to Penn state and Ohio state. Michigan fans aren't the most patient of sorts. So Matt, at what point is finishing in third place? Does that start rubbing on Michigan fans the wrong way? Just me. (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, I, I think next year, if they did it, I think this year, yeah, they want to win now, but and this is you know they are more experienced than the whole five starters returning thing looks, but right. they still are inexperienced. And 
for all of Brady Hoke's fault fa- or flaws, it's not like the cupboard was bare for Jim Harbaugh. I mean, you, that was a whole the whole great defense last year was seniors, all, all the starters at least except one. So you know you're losing like ten of or eleven of the top fifteen tacklers or something like that on defense. You're losing uh, basically the three receivers who did anything last year in Darbo, Jake Butt, and, and Jay Chesson. And you know Wilton Spate was fine last year, but he needs help. And yep. if even you know, definitely holds on to the job. So I, there's there there are a lot of questions to answer. And Harbaugh is obviously recruited very very well, but it's not going to be an instant wave of new starters are going to be awesome, except for the defensive line, which will probably be awesome instantly. Cause you know, Rashawn Gary, when he, he is technically not a returning starter, but you have the number one recruit in the country who played well when he did play last year, they have a lot of strength still, but it's just, I, I think it's going to be a team that is better in November than it is in September. And that helps when you play Wisconsin and Ohio state, the last two games of the year. And Absolutely. a scenario that would not shock me, which would make everybody totally satisfied is Michigan's eight and three going into the November twenty five game against Ohio State and ruins Ohio State's playoff chances? Yeah, I could totally see that happening because I think Michigan will be better that then it'll be at home and it's in Ann Arbor and you never know. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I just think that's a scenario that could happen and that would set the stage for playoff expectations in 2018, which could happen anyway. Absolutely, and like if Ohio State is still struggling to throw the ball. By the time that game comes around, I mean, I'm looking at it like they're just, that just seems like the kind of game where, yeah, Michigan's going to be set up really, really well to play spoiler. Uh, I don't know if... Their biggest question is the secondary, and they don't play good quarterbacks. I mean, their first game, Florida might literally play three quarterbacks, Yeah, which is like the most up-in-the-air game all season. I just have no idea what to make of that game. But then, what, they play Penn State. Obviously, that's a good passing game October 21st. Other than that, it's the Big Ten. There aren't many great quarterbacks. So that also helps Michigan because their potential greatest weakness, at least going into the year, is not going to be tested that much. Yeah. And, yeah, if they – Ohio State could still win the Big Ten at that point. I mean, you know, Penn State – uh, like I still can't shake the feeling of Penn State teams past where they end up losing just one completely dumb game they shouldn't lose, and that's two conference losses. And even though Ohio State loses their last game, they still make it to the Big Ten title game. Like there's, yeah, I mean, there, th- this Michigan team has the potential to be, like you said, a dangerous, tough, smash mouth, well coached football team. Like Matt, what do you make of Michigan this year? I think I think Matt hit really took the words out of my mouth. To be honest with you, you know the the, the when does third place become um, not good enough next year? Um, I think since Harbaugh was hired, almost 2018 was the year they've kind of had circled as that's when we're going to be really really good. Um, I think last year was I want to say a surprise, but I think they they were a lot better than they probably expected. Um, I think the year before that, his first year was a hell of a coaching job because that was not a very talented team that won 10 games somehow. Um, but, and and he, he really, I've been seeing, seeing the Michigan, this is the year Michigan has a great chance to beat Ohio State. It's at home. They're going to be a lot better at the end of the year. And Ohio State is weak in spots where Michigan's weak, you know, with, with that secondary 
that again should be better by the end of the year anyway. But to to back up, I think what like what Matt said, the you know, sixteen starters gone, you know, one hundred and seven players to the NFL draft or what or, you know, some record or whatever it was, is you know, is relevant for sure. But it's not the they're going to go eight and four narrative that I think you can find out there because this the overvalue or undervaluation of, of returning starters. Um, you can lose a lot of starters, and if the guys behind them are really good, then it's not as big a deal. And the guys behind them, especially on the defensive line, are really, really good. Um, and they played a lot last year, too, especially on the defensive side. So I don't think that inexperience is really relevant there. And for as good as Wilton Spate was up until the second half of the Iowa game where he got hurt, um, that's how Michigan won games last year was the dominating defense, um, not really hurting themselves on offense and just, you know, wearing you down over four quarters. And they're still built like that. Their front seven on defense is as good as anyone in the big 10, if not the country, their offensive line, um, is by far the strong point of the offense. And they've got a handful of very good running backs, um, that it'll be again like last year where no one is, you know, a 1300 yard rusher or something like that. They're going to have three or four guys that carry for five or 600 yards each. They're going to ask Wilton Spade, whoever's the quarterback, not to make mistakes. Um, they've got a couple of really run, young receivers. Donovan Peoples Jones is the one everyone talks about um, that I think are going to be really good. They've got the, the fullbacks that they utilize about perfectly. Um, and again, it's something that no one really sees a whole lot of anymore. And they've got some underrated tight ends too. So I think it's, it's Michigan, you know, the Michigan team we've come to expect from Jim Harbaugh in his first two years there, just with new names plugged in that are all still pretty good. Um, and I still think they finished third in the big 10 in the big 10 East because Penn state and Ohio state are just better. And Penn state gets them at home. Um, and Ohio state is the most talented team in the country as far as I'm concerned this year. But it, it, it honestly, it'd be like Penn State finishing third in the Big Ten East this year and going ten and two, um, or eleven and one, and, and losing a tiebreaker or something to finish in that third spot. I don't think there's anything to hang your head about. But when you do that, if you end up in that spot playing as well as I think Michigan's going to play this year, yeah, I mean they're, uh, yeah, they're tough. They're tough. Uh, let's move on. Second to last team we're going to talk about. Uh, so. Despite the fact that we're not talking about them last, uh, because they didn't win the Big Ten last year, Ohio State... Really? Yes, uh, Ohio State did not win the Big Ten last year. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Ohio State is the... Outside of Alabama, they're the team that most people are picking uh, to win a national title. Uh, Of course, you know, there's USC, there's Florida State, there are those teams in there. But Ohio State, they're the favorite. They're the team that is... Kind of expected to win right now. So, Matt, what has to happen for them to not win? I think the offensive line has to not take a step from where they were last year. And they don't find a replacement for Curtis Samuel. And they don't have really anyone step up at receiver on the offensive side. You know, the, the, the perfect storm of, of their three biggest weaknesses in offense all remaining weaknesses 
And the on defense, the losses in the secondary over the last two or three seasons finally catch up to them. Um, with all that said, I don't think any of it happens. I think Ohio State is far and away the best team in the Big Ten. Sorry, Penn State fans, but they it's it's hard to I, I wrote about I wrote their preview for the site that we ran, I think, on Wednesday this week. And it's just amazing. And, and I, I follow recruiting closer than a lot of people, too. So a lot of these names I remember from when they were, when they were high school prospects. And they were, you know, four-star, five-star, state player of the year, et cetera, et cetera. You know, number one player at their position from wherever they came from. And they just, they replace one guy like that with another guy like that. It's unbelievable how they just plug him in. And until that catches up to him, you know, losing the, this talent to the NFL year after year after year, it's hard to say they're not going to be great again. And I think they're going to be in that mode that we saw in 2014 when they won the national championship. The, what we saw in the last two games of 2015 after the Michigan State loss when they absolutely ran Michigan off their own field and beat Notre Dame um, in an embarrassing fashion in a game that wasn't nearly as close as the score was in the Fiesta Bowl that year. Um, that 31 nothing, I guarantee you, has been on bulletin boards and emails and iPads and everything else that Urban Meyer can get his hands on. And the scariest prospect in college football, as far as I'm concerned, is pissed off Urban Meyer. And um, they are as pissed off as they've been since he's been there, I think. And that is a frightening proposition for really all 12 teams on their schedule this year. I, I could see them, I, Penn State's a very good team. I could see them winning that game by 17 points um, and Penn State Jesus. playing well just because I think Ohio State's just that good. I'm, I'm, we're getting hyperbole yeah, here. but Yeah, I, uh, Matt, are you as also uh, as prone to the hyperbole that Matt is? No, but I think they're going to win the Big Ten, and I have them. I have them number three nationally. I, I like Alabama USC is my national championship game, but you know Ohio State signs a top seven recruiting class every year. I mean, last year they replaced a ridiculously good secondary with three first round picks. I mean, it, it's we, we, their defensive lines absurd. Their defensive ends, you know, Sam Hubbard, Nick Bosa, and Tyquan Lewis all at defensive end, and Jalen Holmes. Um, so. You know, we talk about Urban Meyer, who his coordinators now are a guy who made Rutgers good and a guy who made Indiana a bull team. <laughs> like, so, you know, it, Ohio State's problems, like Alabama's problems whenever they lose a game, are always overstated. Like, oh, my God, their offense has been a disaster since Herman left. Okay, they're also 23-3 and three the past two years. But obviously it's not been quite, you know, talent has won out. They're, it's not been quite right. They haven't had an identity. Play calling's been... Pretty strange sometimes, especially in big games. The offensive line, we know pass protection struggled in big games against Penn State, against Clemson, against Michigan last year. But I think the offensive line will be better. I think the tackles will be better in those big games. Um, I think Mike Weber, the running back, has a much bigger season and probably bigger workload with Kevin Wilson as the offensive coordinator. And he, it's just, you know receiving core has been a problem, but you just – we know they recruit well. There's going to be athletes there. And I think Kevin Wilson is going to be better at unlocking the potential than what we saw the past couple of years under Ed Warner and Tim Beck. Yep. So you add all that together, and I, 
I don't think JT Barrett is going to be a Heisman winning superstar, but we know he can be a good quarterback. And I think he'll be better under Wilson than he was last year, which I, I still don't understand how Trace McSorley wasn't first team all Big Ten over Barrett last year. But it's just they're the most they're the most talented team not named Alabama. And they get Penn State at home, they get Oklahoma at home. And it's hard to see them losing more than one game. Yeah. I mean I, I go back to the loss they had to Michigan State a few years ago, where, you know, pouring rain. Michigan State's a really good football team that's close until the end. And that game, I mean, you know, the joke of offensive coordinator Ezekiel Elliott came from it, but that was such a massive deal. Like, it was like the sky fell in Columbus. It was incredible. And, like, that's just what happens there. Because they were one play away from winning. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're just expected to do this. They're expected to win every game. They're expected to win the uh, division, then the conference, and then make it to the national championship. And you know, we haven't gotten the Ohio State. Uh, oh wait, yeah, we've we've gotten the Ohio State Alabama national title, correct? Or am I just losing my mind? But that, was that was a, a semifinal, semifinal game. Semifinal. Yes, we haven't had that in the final yet. Like, it's going to happen one of these years. We might as well just get it over with. Uh, the only thing that could... One of the things that could keep that from happening uh, is the final team we're going to talk about, which is Penn State. And for the question Who? for... Who's Ohio, that? Never heard of them. Uh, well, Matt, uh, go out your front door and just, like, start walking um, oh, okay. in one direction. Yeah, you'll find it eventually. Uh, so, what the question with Penn State. If for Ohio State, what needs to happen for them to not win the Big Ten? Penn State, what needs to happen for them to win it? They need those Ohio State flaws to actually happen, as Matt kind of laid out. I think that's one thing. And that's kind I of think crazy, need- isn't it? Penn State has – Penn State ha- is probably – I'm not going to say they definitely will because weird things happen. They're probably going to end up being a top seven team this year. And it's just insane to think that their hopes of winning a national championship – are more or less completely out of their hands. I don't want to say that because I think they are capable of winning in Columbus. So it's, you know, if you get the right breaks, if you force turnovers, make big plays, as we know, Penn State can make big plays. So it's just, I think the offense is going to be better this year, which is feels somewhat crazy to say after some of the scoring flourishes we saw like scoring runs they went on but i just think they're going to be more consistent and they're not going to need to come back all the time they're not going to need to have those stretches where they score on like five straight plays i I think they're going to be a more complete team from start to finishing games which i think why saquon barkley is my heisman pick uh i i think they have their best offensive line in a long time because you know last year even it was better i i talked to offensive line coach matt limegrove a couple weeks ago and he said, you know, Saquon Barkley like made his unit look better than it actually was. And the offense made the unit look better than it was. But they started seven combinations. They were they were good last year, but they were inconsistent. And they were they were playing freshmen. So they actually have depth and options on the offensive line, which has not been the case. It, w- it went from being a clear bad liability to last year they got the job done when needed, but they still weren't a strength. This year, I don't want to say they're going to be a strength in the Big Ten, but I think they can be pretty good. And Saquon Barkley hasn't run behind a good offensive line yet, a consistently good offensive line yet. And they still have Mike Gesicki, and they still have a deep receiving core with a lot of potential, and they still have a quarterback, Trace McSorley, who averaged nine yards per attempt last year. So 
And that's all in in Joe Moorhead's second year as offensive coordinator. So it's going to be a very, very fun year on offense for Penn State where I just think they're more, even if they don't hit quite as many big plays, they're going to be more consistent. And I think Barkley's going to have a fantastic year that everybody's kind of hoping for. So it's, you know, do they develop a pass rush? Uh, I think is probably Penn State's biggest question. And obviously we know they've recruited well. There's potential there, but you know it's a lot to replace, and you lose you lose John Reed at cornerback. There are holes to fill on defense, so it's just can they? I, I don't think the defense can play a, does not have the talent that Ohio State has. So that's that's another gap to kind of close. And can the offense's explosiveness make up for that gap? Even if the defense is still good, yeah. I, I just don't. It's not yeah. a top ten unit nationally. Yeah, uh, Matt, we'll end with you. Uh, what is to happen for Penn State? to win the Big Ten and get the shot at the playoff that, you know, a lot of Penn State fans thought they should have got gotten last year? I think there's two things. One is a tweet that Bill Conley had yesterday on third, on Wednesday, I think, where he said Penn State's not going to hit the number of big plays they hit last year. It's just statistically so improbable that you can't expect that. But they, their efficiency needs to improve so minimally for them to be fine. So I think they, they need that efficiency to improve, which I think we all expect to happen because of what Matt said with the offensive line just being being average, if not a little better than average. And the second thing is one specific weakness in Ohio State is that secondary, th- those three NFL draft picks, first-round NFL draft picks that Ohio State lost, does catch up with them. And cause that, that's where Penn State can really expose Ohio State is if that secondary is not at the level it was the last two or three years um, with all that NFL talent that they've lost um, because they've got Gesicki, they've got Deshaun Hamilton, they've got Juwan Johnson, who we've, you know, Penn state fans have gotten to know very well over the last six months or so with his, uh, you know, apparently unbelievable off season. Um, Irvin Charles, Said Blacknall, um, DeAndre Tompkins. I can go on and on with the, the talent outside and that's, that's where they're going to beat Ohio state. They're not going to dominate them on the offensive line. Ohio state's, Defensive front is just too good. Um, their linebackers are too good and athletic and deep. But that secondary is potentially the the weak point for Ohio State. And if if Penn State's passing game evolves like we expect it to, and Ohio State's secondary takes that step back, like they they very well could. You know, we're talking about three new starters for the third straight year, I think it is, and eventually that's going to catch up with them. And that's that's the big advantage that Penn State has. I think they're they're good enough on on defense to keep it close um, in Columbus, where their offense is going to have a shot. The big question is going to be: Are they going to be able to expose expose that secondary? Yeah, that's the Big Ten. That is uh, the entire conference. Uh, we even managed to talk about Rutgers for half a second, uh, Matt. Thank you for coming on. As a uh, way to show our thanks, please uh, plug and pitch anything that you might want to plug and pitch uh, that you've done this offseason that you might have coming up or you might be doing during the season. Follow me on Twitter at MattBrownCFB and read my 10 billion words of college football preview content that I've written all offseason. And also, it's pinned to the top of my Twitter feed read the top 100 games in college football history, which is 30,000 words of nostalgia that was published in July. So please read that, and thank you. Hey, uh, Matt, did you happen to do a follow-up to that about the worst games? 
I did. You did. can also read the ten worst games of all time, featuring Iowa six, Penn State four, and no, a game and no. and and a game featuring over seventy punts, which was not actually Penn oh, State yeah. Iowa. Yeah, that was yes. I so need to go back and read about Texas Tech Centenary yeah. from nineteen thirty nine. Yeah, uh, you're going to read this and just be stunned at how much Matt knows about college football. And please let me uh, let me just let you know, it is really as amazing as you think. Matt actually has a take on whether a Harvard football game from 1922 is overrated. So, it absolutely co- is. Just yes, for the record, yes. I read it. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank right. you. So yeah, I, that that's my hot center foot center college praying colonels take. <laughs> Uh, so that's it that's it for this edition of the podcast uh thank you as always for listening uh subscribe on the million places where you can subscribe buy our shirts we got some new ones out Uh, i have them on my bed because i don't believe in putting clothes away they're nice uh follow us on social media read the stuff they're going to be writing doing all that again matt brown thank you very much for coming on at matt brown cfb give him a follow and then yeah one more time thank you for listening for matt to bear i am bill de filippo take care everyone